Well, times were tough in the late 1970s uh, when Roland Stewart was looking for a job. So for years, he'd uh, bounced from one place to another, only to find himself in the late 1970s struggling as an actor. And for more rejection letters than he cares to admit, uh, he came up with an oddly inventive idea. If I can just get my face on TV, he thought, then maybe I'll get a little more attention. So in late 1977, Roland Stewart donned a rainbow wig and bought tickets to that year's NBA Finals, and attention is exactly what it got him. Rockin' Roland, they said, Rainbow Man, a crowd mascot who always brought all sorts of good entertainment. But as some of you know, uh, that changed two years later. You see, Rockin' Roland returned to his room after the Super Bowl, he flipped on the TV and came across a program called Today in Bible Prophecy, and all of a sudden it hit him, I could use this exposure to spread the gospel. And that night, uh, Rock and Rollin' became John 316 man, and for the better part of a decade, he was a regular fixture in sports culture. So if you were uh, watching a football game, you'd find him in the end zone. If you were uh, having a basketball game on, he'd be right beneath uh, the backboard. And if you were watching baseball, he'd find his way behind the catcher. And with the help of a little battery-operated TV, he always found the best place to hoist his John 316 poster. Unfortunately, uh, John 316 man was also known for some pretty eccentric uh, behavior. And so as the late 1980s uh, came to a close, uh, he got more and more offensive with his message. And so at the 1991 Masters, he was the guy who uh, used an air horn as Jack Nicholas was uh, lining up a putt. And then later that year, he set off some stink bombs just to make a statement. And uh, by 1992, he was getting arrested for taking three hostages in a Los Angeles hotel room. If you're anything like me, it's uh, pretty sad ending uh, to a story about a man who wanted to share his faith. And I think it kind of mirrors the kind of mixed emotions that at least I bring as I hear today's very familiar passage from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's because uh, on the one hand, uh, these verses Luther describes uh, are the gospel in the nutshell. It's the central promise of the Christian faith. God loves you, and there is nothing in this world that you can ever do to make him love you any less. And so you hear these words, you think about your life, and, and you realize all the reasons that God shouldn't care. And then God looks you in the eye and he says, I know them all, and I'm going to love you anyway. But then on the other hand, uh, these verses uh, from John 3.16 and then 17 have been used so often uh, to beat people over the head with the gospel, and as we get to know them better, they also reveal this uncomfortable reality of just how much we need Jesus. And you see, it uh, brings us to the larger context of today's a very familiar passage. You see, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's celebrating the Passover, and as we heard last week, uh, he gets pretty upset when a bunch of people gather in his father's house and disrespect it, and so in response to what can only be described as righteous anger, uh, Jesus flips over some tables and drives out some merchants, and then in the scene that follows, uh, Jesus performs a number of signs uh, of which we don't really know what they are. But what we do know is this. 
They attract a bunch of people, and those people see these signs, and because they see these signs, they begin to trust the message that Jesus brings to them. And that's what happens for a man named Nicodemus. He approaches Jesus in the dead of night. Rabbi, he says, I see what you've been doing. All of the incredible things, healing the sick, helping the poor, and when you teach, you teach as one with authority because your words are filled with grace and truth and joy. And that's why all I can think, all that we can think, is that you must be sent from God. This is powerful, incredible profession of faith, especially when you consider that uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader. And uh, if you happen to have spent a bunch of time in church over the years, uh, when you hear that word Pharisee, uh, you begin to think of the kind of people that like to trap Jesus. Uh, But if that's what you're thinking about Nicodemus, it couldn't be further from the truth, because Nicodemus is genuine. He wants to follow Jesus. And as a Pharisee, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, he knows that there are all sorts of schools of rabbis, seven of them, He knows that Jesus has been trained to be one of these rabbis. And so when Nicodemus says, I believe that you have been sent by God, Nicodemus isn't just saying, you know, Jesus, you're a good guy. He isn't just giving Jesus a compliment. He's putting his weight behind him. And if you're Nicodemus in this passage, you're expecting Jesus uh, to respond something like this, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You've figured it out. You've chosen wisely. Enter into the joy of your master. Uh, But if you're Nicodemus, the conversation that follows reveals something very different. Reveals all the things that you don't know. And that despite your best efforts, you really need Jesus. Now, it was uh, late last summer, uh, shortly after uh, I had gone with my wife on a St. Andrew's trip uh, to serve the people of Kingsburg, uh, New Jersey, on their mission trip this year uh, with the youth, uh, that I watched the movie, the Disney movie, Moana, uh, for the very first time. And uh, without giving away a lot of details about this story, uh, the movie is about a young girl who sets off on a daring mission to save her island. See, its crops are uh, devastated, its fisheries are exhausted, and and the solution you discover in this movie is uh, to go out and find a demigod named Maui and enlist his help. Now, as the movie unfolds, uh, you discover that her journey is far from easy. Her parents don't want her to leave, so she has to sneak away in the dead of night, and uh, when she finally does escape, her boat gets shipwrecked on this lost, deserted island. And just when you think that there is no hope left, uh, Moana looks up and realizes uh, that this isn't any ordinary island. It's Maui's island. And moments later, she's standing before him. Maui, she says, just about ready to make her pitch. Shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and the sea, I am Moana. And before she can uh, continue, Maui cuts her off and says, you know, don't forget, I'm also the hero of men. At which point, uh, she offers, he offers her an autograph and then sings a song that uh, the parents of a lot of preschoolers are going to know, a song called, You're Welcome. And if you're Moana, the next few minutes uh, involve hearing this song about all the incredible things that Maui has done for you without even asking if you want them. 
And I'll admit that it's uh, kind of dangerous to compare Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, to a, a character in a Disney movie who's admittedly a little self-absorbed and pretty narcissistic. But I think there is uh, something in this story uh, that reveals the uh, rather uncomfortable, challenging message uh, that we also discover in John 3.16. And that is the uncomfortable message about all the things that Jesus has done for us. I mean, he's gotten involved, he's given us everything, and he's done it without our even knowing it. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine uh, got married, and shortly after she and her husband moved into uh, their new house, uh, her mother-in-law came to visit, and on this particular weekend, my friend happened to be out of town, and uh, while she was away, uh, her mother-in-law repainted her kitchen. Now, the important detail you got to know here is uh, that she did it without asking for permission. And as you can probably imagine, uh, this uh, didn't go over so well a, a few weeks into marriage. Uh, but the interesting thing, at least for me, is actually what happened a couple of months later. I'm talking with my friend, and uh, she confessed that the hardest part, she said, was admitting that the, the kitchen actually needed to get painted. You know, I think uh, so often it's like that uh, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus because it's, it's hard to admit how much we need him. I mean, that we, uh, we don't just need him in the broken places in our lives, but in all the places. Uh, that we don't just need him on the bad days or the sad days or the difficult days, but, but we need him on all the days. And it's, it's a hard message sometimes uh, because you want to be in control. I mean, sometimes you just want to be the person to paint your kitchen but what John 3.16 shows us is that without Jesus, you know, we got nothing. The text says uh, we are going to perish. And it's not because of a, a decision that God makes, a decision or a judgment that he makes against us. I mean, it's just simply the reality of what it means to be human. Uh, without Jesus, we want to turn away from God, go a different direction. And that's why God actually does end up making a decision we discover in this passage, but that decision isn't to condemn us. The decision is that God is always going to love us. That's the decision that God makes. He always chooses to be there for us. And then the promise he makes is that there is no one or no thing in your life, in my life, in his life, that will ever stop him. You know, that's what takes uh, the hard news in this passage and makes it really good news. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, quite honestly, we're not in control of it. Uh, we're not able to change it. Now, history tells us uh, that when someone escaped uh, from the Nazi concentration camp of Auschwitz, uh, the punishment was that uh, 10 people were, were rounded up and uh, put to death. And back in uh, July of 1941, this is actually uh, when it ended up happening, this one the commandant announced as he marched up and down the ranks of cell block 14. That one. And eventually, uh, 10 people were chosen, and among them was a 41-year-old man, a Francis Jabonowski. And everyone knew uh, what was going to happen. They were going to take him and these nine other people down to a place they called the Hunger Bunker. And there they would leave them 
until the lack of food finally got them. You know, on this particular day, uh, something rather surprising happened. Another inmate, inmate 16670, a Franciscan priest named Maximilian Kolb stepped forward and said, I would like to take that man's place. See, I'm only a priest, but he has a wife and children. And Maximilian Kolb, uh, without asking for permission, without even speaking to this man, uh, stepped in and saved his life. And in many ways, uh, that's the same kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that gets involved, that gets its hands dirty, that doesn't always ask for permission because it is always there for us, without fail. And that's the message uh, that we hear every time that we encounter this verse from John 3, 16 and 17, both today and all the days of our lives. The message that God so loved the world He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.